are here this morning. We are here this morning. Today is the day that the Lord has made, and we're here to praise the Lord, right? That's what we've done so far. That's what we're going to continue to do. Through the message, through anything that comes after that, we're going to continue to praise the Lord. That's why we're here. We're here to praise the Lord this morning. Can you look at your neighbor and tell them, I'm here to praise the Lord? Just let them know. In case they had any questions or doubts of why you're here, you're here to praise the Lord. That's what we're doing here today. Sunday morning. I love Sunday morning. It's so special to be able to gather with all of you, uh, to worship here. Uh, I love gathering with you all, praying with you all, worshiping and serving alongside of you. And um, it's just such a special, special thing. Sunday morning, I think, is, is such a special time. We can get, we can get fed uh, online throughout the week. We can gain wisdom and knowledge from books and podcasts and blogs. We can sing worship songs in our shower, in our car, on the way to work. But sometimes there, there's just something about gathering together with the people of God that you just can't match. You can't get this anywhere else. You can't get this any place else. You can't replicate this. And I think that God honors this, what we're doing here in this place this morning. At least that's our prayer. So today we kick off the Advent series, and I'm excited about what God is going to do over the next four weeks as we walk through this. My hope and my prayer is that God does something significant in your life, and I'm believing him for, for that over the next few weeks, and we're really excited to get into this. I want to talk about four Advent themes so you know where we're going, uh, four themes that we're going to talk about this weekend. We're going to talk about waiting and hope. Next weekend, we're going to talk about repentance and preparation. Then we're going to go into joy and obedience, and then finally, celebration and redemption on December 23rd, right before Christmas. So I mentioned last week that I have a birthday uh, coming up, December 15th, in case you didn't write that down or get that in your notes. It's December 15th, 1-5. But I have noticed, <laughs> but I have noticed that some people, some people, and maybe this is you, you don't want to just celebrate your birthday, you want to celebrate your birth week, maybe even your birth month, right? It just expands outward, right? You, you, you begin to just soak in all of the birthday festivities all week or all month long because what's better than one day? Many days. Why would you celebrate your birthday over one day when you can celebrate it over a week or a month, am I right? So Christmas is awesome, why would we only celebrate Christmas on one day? Or we like Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is fun too. Many of us do our Christmas Eve activities and, and then Christmas Day is really just the morning and then the rest of the day is like we kind of forget it's Christmas. But why would we just celebrate it on two days when we can celebrate it for the whole month? And that's really the heart behind Advent. It's a four-week celebration and preparation for us to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So over the course of December, we're going to be celebrating Advent. Now, I realize that I've said that word Advent several times now, and there's a very real chance that there are some people in this theater here this morning that do not know what that word means, and that's okay. Because let me also say this, I'm very confident uh, in believing that most Christians don't actually uh, understand the history behind this tradition, even if they actually know what Advent means. We have forgotten, or maybe you grew up in a home or denomination where it was never really talked about. It's, it's not really, it wasn't really practiced or done. You never heard of Advent. That was me. You see, once upon a time, there was a season in the church year known as Advent. And the word comes to us from the Latin for coming or arrival. The purpose of the season was to anticipate the coming of Christ on earth. It was the season that focused on waiting. 
And I say once upon a time because it was popular long, long ago, like well before the Protestant Reformation. But, but once the Protestant Reformation happened, not all Protestant churches picked up this idea and ran with it. They didn't keep this in their church uh, in their church activities, whether you grew up participating in Advent or not, Advent is important to the Christian church. There's several traditions that actually that actually stem from Advent that maybe you realize or maybe you don't realize they're associated with this Advent time. Uh, many churches and families set out a wreath with four or five candles in. Has anybody ever done that or seen that? Yeah, so there's a there's a wreath. That, this is uh, what, this is the Advent wreath, and what happens is each and every week uh, you light a candle, and then the second week you light the second candle, and you you kind of until you light all four candles, and then the fifth one, if you have the fifth one, uh, is for Christmas Eve. The symbol is borrowed from the the emphasis throughout Scripture that Jesus is the light of the world. So you, you light these candles. Each week a new candle is lit in anticipation of Christmas Eve. And then that final candle, they call that the Christ candle. And when that's lit, it's lit to represent Jesus' first advent. And, and, and through this theme of ever-increasing light penetrating the darkness, the candles are lit. Come on, somebody. That's pretty fun, right? We see a picture of the gospel there. We'll be lighting our first candle at home tonight because advent usually starts on the first Sunday uh, or the, four, the fourth Sunday prior to Christmas. Sometimes that falls in uh, November. Sometimes it's in December. Maybe you've seen or done an Advent calendar. I was going to bring ours with us, but I ran out of the house without it. So an Advent calendar, it's got all the numbers on it, you know, 1 through 24. Sometimes it's windows that you open. Sometimes it's a drawer that you pull back. Uh, sometimes it's some other, I'm not sure, some other thing that people may have. And they usually contain scriptures, stories, poems, gifts. We're, we're bad Christians, uh, so we fill ours with candy. So the kids open it up, and there's just candy right in there. Chocolate, all kinds of chocolate. But as, the, as each day is something to look forward to, it's something to wait on, it's an anticipation, and you're anticipating that, that last day, expectation increases. But some people just look at this as other stuff to add to the decor and the holiday spirit. They don't realize that where, where this actually comes from and stems from. You see, we live in a culture that loves the stuff that surrounds Christmas. The lights and the trees and the stockings and the gifts and the traditions and, and, and the stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that stuff. I love that stuff. I'm wearing my Christmas socks right now. I love that stuff. Christmas tree cakes, sweaters, traditions, movies, music, it's all it's, it's all great. It's literally my favorite time of the year. But we're all into that, Christians and non-Christians alike. But in our rush to celebrate the fun stuff and even celebrate the birth of Christ, we want to hurry up and get to the big day. But the church historically has used this time not to speed up, but actually to slow down. That's why we had a time of stillness earlier. Because historically, that's what we did. It wasn't a time to speed up to go forward, to get to the end of December, to hurry up and get to Christmas. It was a time to, to really slow down and actually feel the, the angst and the longing and the anticipation of the coming Christ. In the Old Testament, the, the people of God eagerly awaited and prayed and they longed and they cried out for the coming Messiah, much like the church right now should honestly be doing for the second coming. Advent is about reorienting our heart reposturing our hearts into a position of desiring and longing for Jesus to come. Which then, church, leads to an incredible celebration on Christmas Day 
where we can rejoice in the birth of a Savior. So the most descriptive word I could use to describe this season is anticipation. It's really one of my favorite aspects of Christmas. It always has been. It's the anticipation of, of, it's so exciting to look forward to what's to come. You think about, you know, the gifts and you think about the traditions and you think about all the stuff and you're so excited about what's about to unfold and what's about to happen. You look forward to it and that's really what the core of Advent is. The word literally means coming, arriving. It's an anticipation of the second coming of Christ by us reflecting on the first coming of Christ, which is Christmas. So go ahead and turn over to Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, it'll be on the screen behind me. Now, the typical passage for this sermon, and, and, and understand that Advent is, is, is a series, it's a, it's a teaching series, it's something that's being done all over the country, all over the world right now by, by many different churches. And there's, there's really just four major themes of Advent, so, so the messages are going to be somewhat similar as we're coming from a, a, a similar place with a, with a similar goal now, the typical passage that, that we would use for this particular message would be taken out of Isaiah since he really led the way in foreshadowing the coming Messiah. Like he really set the stage and anticipation kind of comes from everything that Isaiah said and that's, that builds on this anticipation with the Israelites to, to there is a coming Messiah and he's going to come and he's going to do some incredible things. But I want to change it up a little bit. This idea of anticipation, I think, can also be epitomized in two people in Luke chapter 2 who play the most minor of roles. You can hardly even call them cameos. They're like kind of extras in the Christmas story, to be honest. They, they really aren't even part of the Christmas story. They actually come in afterwards, almost like they would be sort of in the end credit scene of a movie. But I think there's something about the example that these two people set that's probably worth us talking about. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to start in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to pre present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, let me give you a little historical context because we don't do this with our kids. So obviously we're talking about something in the Jewish culture that, that had these wonderful traditions and rituals that, that were part of a very significant moments in their lives. And while we may not practice some of these same rituals, I think there is something for us to learn from it. And it might be worth us knowing what was actually going on. So in Jewish culture, uh, what would actually happen at this point is male children were circumcised on the eighth day. And, and that's when they were also given their name. Isn't it interesting to think about that for a week, about a week, we didn't know this child's name. The Son of God was nameless, in a sense. But Mary and Joseph knew before Jesus was even conceived what his name would be. The angel had appeared to, to Mary and said to Mary that they were going to name him Jesus, which literally means the Lord saves. So his name is his destiny, his true identity, the reason for which he was born. Now the people... We're looking for uh, somebody to come in, a Messiah, a Savior that would come in and, and lead them out of the, the Roman occupation. A political Savior is what they wanted. But God wanted to deliver them from, from something more, something more important than Roman rule. He wanted to deliver them from themselves and their sins. So 
What the people didn't know is that they themselves didn't need a political savior. They needed an actual savior, someone who would save them from their sins. They needed an actual savior, and that's his name. That's who Jesus is, the Lord who saves. And so according to Jewish law, he would go and he would be circumcised and he would be given his Jewish name. So at that point, eight days in, he was officially bestowed the name Jesus. But according to Jewish law, the mother would then go through a 40-day period of purification after childbirth. And after fulfilling this purification rite, the parents would uh, bring a lamb as a burnt offering to the temple unless they couldn't afford it, in which Jewish law would enable them to substitute a pigeon or a dove as a sin offering. So evidently, Mary and Joseph couldn't afford the lamb, and so uh, what they're doing is they're actually bringing pigeons to the offering. What's so amazing to me is the symbolism of this moment. Like, think about this moment. We think about the birth. We think about baby Jesus coming, being born in a manger. We think about all of, all of that and the symbolism that lies there, but think about the symbolism here. Put yourself in this situation in this moment. Put yourself in this time. Here are Mary and Joseph coming into the temple, bringing the sin offering. Don't miss this. For the sinless Son of God. What they maybe aren't fully aware of is that they bring this offering, but he will do away with the sacrificial system altogether because he is the sacrifice for sin. What, what an incredible moment that this is right now in time. So the moment is rife with symbolism and possibility, but then there's this little twist in the story. They walk into the temple, and it says in verse 25, Now there is a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So, interesting to note right here, the word used for righteous, or maybe your translation says just, uh, that word means conformity with God's character. In other words, this is someone who is becoming more and more into the character of God himself. And then it says he was devout. Devout, which means someone who holds on to that which is good. Even when you are tempted to lose grip. But then he's epitomized, I think, as uh, someone who is waiting in hope. He's looking for the restoration of Israel. He has been waiting his entire life. Simeon, for this moment, he's been waiting for this exact precise moment in time. He's old, probably in his 80s. And this one moment validates a lifetime of faith. Are you hearing me this morning? All the pain and suffering and sacrifice, this is going to be the greatest moment of his life. This is what he's been waiting for. He is one of the first, not just to meet the Messiah, as amazing as that is, but also to recognize who, in fact, Jesus was. It says in verse 26, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. Let me stop here for a moment. I hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. 
Our family did. A couple of highlights. We ate a lot of great food. Spent some, some great time with some relatives that we don't get to see very much. And we slept in a camper for the week with our two youngest children. It was honestly great. It was on, uh, honestly, it was great. The kids were pretty good. Only gave us trouble like every night and every morning. But beyond that, it, it was great. It was good. Um, but we got back home, and the kids started getting a little, little sickly, a little, little cold, just, you know, normal changing of the weather. We were down in 78 in sunny Florida, and then we came back, and it was 43 in rainy South Carolina. And so just a little, little cold popped up. First it was Naomi, and then she kind of got a little bit better, and then Levi caught a little something. And so he was up a few nights ago with a pretty high fever, and, and he wanted to sleep with us. But you better believe I'm not trying to get sick. <laughs> I love my baby boy, but I got to draw the line. So um, anyway, I was taking him back to his room, and he was crying. And, uh, and I was taking him back to his room and, you know, took his temperature and gave him some medicine and calmed him down a little bit. And, um, and, and, and I just kind of, like, held him for a few minutes because I wanted to get him. Uh, he had to stop crying. I can't lay him in bed crying or it just won't stop. So got to get him to stop crying first. And so I'm holding him. And, and I'm just comforting him, and he's laying his head on my shoulder, and he kind of starts to quiet down, and he calms himself a little bit. And this is going to sound a little canned, but there was just something about that. As I, was, as I was holding my son, I felt like I was holding the future of our family. It was an awesome <laughs> moment. And I thought about that with our, our girls as well, these lives with so much potential and and so much life to, to be lived, the future in front of them. I think something I've come to realize is that, that sometimes when you are so busy parenting little ones, you forget the little facts. Like basically there, there are days where we just are trying to make it to bedtime. We're just trying to survive until we can put them in bed. Like that's the distant future. If you can just make it to bedtime, it will be okay. But in doing that, you kind of lose sight for a moment that you're holding the future. Part of why I bring that up is this. What a moment this must have been for Simeon. I love the language here in Scripture. It says that Simeon, it says he, uh, he took him up in his arms. This is an old Greek word that actually refers to the inner curve of the arm. So, so literally, Simeon is cradling this baby in his arms. A, a tender hold. And if you stop and think about Simeon isn't just holding the future, he's holding the Ancient of Days in his arms. He's holding the Rock of Ages in his arms. He's holding the hope of nations, the hope of every generation. He's literally holding eternity right here in his arms. What a moment this is. This is one of these moments, I think, that make life worth living for Simeon. Verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled, and what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Now, I don't know that those were words Mary wanted to hear in that moment with her eight-day-old baby Jesus. They're probably words that echoed in her mind's ear when she looked up and saw her son hanging on a cross some 33 years later. This was a moment that had been prophesied long before. 
by an old man named Simeon right after the birth of their son. But he wasn't the only one. Uh, I said there were two people, right? So in verse 36, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then uh, as a widow until she was 84. You can start doing the math and you're trying to figure out how old she is. That, that's 91 right there, at least 91. And, and they, you know, you got to realize that they got married and younger, younger and younger in that day and age. It was, it was not uncommon for someone to be married at 12 and 14. It's very possible that Mary herself was barely a teenager when she was married. But, but you add that up, and we're talking about someone who has made more than 100 trips around the sun. Like we're talking, they've, they've seen some stuff. They've lived for some time. It says this, she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. We're, we're talking about waiting on hope, waiting in hope. We're talking about two people who had lived their entire lives, one probably in his 80s and one most likely in, in her 100s, waiting for this moment when they would finally meet their salvation. Let me try to bring it a little closer to home. Uh, now, for some people, I recognize that anticipation. I love anticipation. I think it's fun. I think it's exciting. I enjoy the process of anticipation. But I know for other people that anticipation is really just another, it's, it's another word for waiting. And we don't like waiting. Some years back, uh, Timex, the, the watchmaker, did this uh, study on waiting for different things. And I just want to share a few because I think they're, they're kind of fun. Uh, it showed that we'll wait 13 seconds before we honk at a car in front of us that has stopped at a green light. 13 seconds. Okay, well, we'll wait 26 seconds. This is appropriate because we're in the movie theater. We'll wait 26 seconds before we shush people who are talking in the movie theater. Uh, the study showed that we'll wait 26 seconds also before we take the seat of someone who has walked away. Uh, we'll wait 13 minutes for a table at a restaurant except on Sundays in Greenwood where the wait is a minimum of 45. We'll wait 20 minutes for the last person to show up for Thanksgiving dinner before we dig in. That was a, a, a study that they found. Now, are you thinking the same thing that I'm thinking after hearing all this? These people might be the most patient people I've ever heard of. 13 seconds? I think South Carolina law, if according to my wife, says that you have to honk no more than two seconds if somebody's sitting, and you got to hold it down for 13 seconds. That's really what it's supposed to mean. You honk two seconds in and hold it for 13 and get them moving because it's time to go. 26 seconds waiting for a chair? We don't do that. No way. We're not waiting 26 seconds for a chair. What do we do? We go over and we hover like we're waiting for a restaurant chair. No, we kind of we kind of look at people. We give them the eyes. They're finished eating. We know they're finished eating, and we're giving them the eyes. And we're, we're going to walk over. You know, I want to walk over and just take their, can I take your tray? Can I help you out? Can I get this out? of? The, we become waiters at this point. We just want to get in the seats and have our food. We're not waiting. We're not waiting for them. As a society, we cannot stand waiting. Can I get an amen? That's the truth. Thank you for amening the opposite point of what I'm trying to make today. I appreciate that. At least I know you get me. You know, it's my people. I get it. Okay. I don't know anybody who likes to wait, but this is a part of life. So the question then is how do we wait? And I think there's a couple of different ways of waiting, and I think this story kind of helps us with it. So think about it this way. If you're in 
debt, and maybe you're trying to pay off a car. It's really hard to do it when you're having to make repairs on that car, right? It, it can get frustrating. Like, am I ever going to get debt free? I have friends who have been paying off their, their school loans for a decade now. I'm one of them. Only had one loan, still working on it. <laughs> Jen and I have had friends over the years who have tried to get pregnant and, and waiting and waiting and waiting, and then the frustration sets in, and they're not sure where to go and what to do. More than anything, they want a child, but it doesn't seem like it's happening month after month. There's disappointment. I've known so many people over the years who have been out of work and, and out of work much longer than they wanted or even planned. And then I've known others who wanted to be in a relationship and have prayed and looked and looked and prayed, and it just doesn't seem that the right person is ever going to come along. So when you find yourself in those circumstances, how do we wait? How do we actually wait in those moments? What do you do? Do you, do you just try to pass the time, or is there something else that God might be doing in those circumstances? What are you waiting for? This may be a better question. Simeon was waiting on the consolation of Israel. Anna was waiting on the redemption of Jerusalem. What are you waiting for? How are you waiting? Church, I don't believe that the Bible calls us to wait passively. The best way to predict the future is to create it. If you don't like the circumstances you're in, I think God has given us to some degree the ability to change our circumstances. And if not, to at least change ourselves in the midst of these circumstances. Passivity is, is in my opinion, not an option. I believe in proactivity. That doesn't mean that we get ahead of God or we take matters into our own hands, but, but it, it also means that we don't just sit passively, passively by, sitting on our hands and waiting for something to happen. So you see, with this story, there are two people who weren't doing that. They were waiting proactively. Simeon does two things. The first is obvious. The second, not, not so much. Ephesians 5.25 says uh, to let us keep in step with the Spirit. And that's what Simeon is doing. In verse 27, it says he came in the Spirit into the temple. In other words, he is keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. I think we waste far too much anxiety on wanting to get in one single leap and bound where God wants us to be 10 or 20 years from now. What I've discovered in my experience is that what we need to worry about is what the next step is. And then the next one after that, and then the next one after that. And if we keep in lockstep with the Holy Spirit, ultimately God is going to get us where God wants us to go. Amen? I think, that, I think that's what we see in the story. This moment directed by the Holy Spirit crosses paths with Mary and Joseph and has this prophetic moment in the life of Jesus. I think we just need to step, keep in step with God's Spirit. Now understand that that path will probably include some zigzagging, some roundabouts, some up and downs. But that gets us where God wants us to go. And sometimes there's some rerouting that happens along the way. John 3 describes it this way, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sounds, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. We, we never know. We don't know. We can't, we can't predict it. We can't, but we can be active in it. We had this dinner uh, some of you were, were able to be at and, and participate in. Uh, we had this dinner a few nights ago, uh, or I guess a few weeks ago now, Thanksgiving meal for uh, some of the different houses in, in Greenwood, and I was thinking about this this moment that happened before everybody got there. I was outside 
uh, loading in some stuff, bringing some things into the uh, John Holloway studio. We were having this dinner at, and so I was bringing some stuff in, and, and a guy walks up to me. Uh, there's nobody else on the street. It's literally just, just this guy and myself, and, and he walks up, and he asked me where the church was. And, um, and I could look at him, and I could tell, not making a snap judgment, but I could look at him and tell that he's, you know, he's been through a little bit. His clothes were a little ragged, a little torn. He, he looked exhausted physically and mentally exhausted. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm not sure what church you mean. You know, here's a church over here and here's a church over here. But it's like, you know, it's like 445 or so. And, and I don't think anybody's having services at this moment. You know, wh- what can I do for you? And he's, he said, I just need a place to sit down. I've been walking all day, and I just need to sit down. I need to rest. And uh, I said, well, we're having this meal right over here across the street from where we're standing right now. Uh, would you like to come over and, and, and sit down? He's like, can I sit down right now? I said, yeah, the meal doesn't start for like an hour and a half, but you're welcome to come. So he goes in and he sits down. And, and honestly, I got wrapped up in everything. We had to get everything set up and we had to get this. So I got him inside and I found him a place to sit down. And, and then I, I went back to work and I was doing stuff here and there and getting stuff done. And, and it was a little later once the event had started, I, I noticed he was there sitting at a, a table. He was by himself. Uh, right before the event started, he was sitting by himself. And then as people f- came in, they filled in around him. And later in the night, I'll look over, and he's just having a great time. He has a big smile on his face. He's eating. He's happy. He's having. And I was just thinking, like, I never got his name because we missed each other at the end, and I never got a chance to actually get his name. And I'm not sure where he came from or where he went. But I started to think about how that moment was, I think, God-ordained. Like, I happened to be on the sidewalk at the same time. There was nobody else out there. I don't know when he would have ran into somebody. But God orchestrated that moment so that he could go inside, have a seat, have a meal, maybe meet some people. And, and, and I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I do know this. God is good at setting up divine appointments. And this is one of the most beautiful divine appointments in all of Scripture. Here's a man who has lived his entire life, his 80-plus years of life. And God somewhere sometime promised that he would not die until he saw the salvation of his people. We don't know how or when he got that revelation, but he got a word from God and he held on to it. Was he ever tempted to let go of it? I'm sure he was. Did he ever feel like he was giving up hope? Was he ever frustrated? Couldn't it have happened when he was 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years old? But he waited in hope. And in one dramatic moment, Simeon and Mary and Joseph, little Jesus, cradled in his arms, have a moment, a divine appointment that changes all of their trajectories. Church, if you are frustrated, if you are feeling like asking God why you can't get where you want to go, if you feel like you have a dream that is in a holding pattern, I get that. I get that. My suggestion to you, try to keep in step with the Spirit. If you can keep in step with the Spirit, then step by step, God is ultimately going to get you where he wants you to go. And I can tell you something, it's probably not going to be by the path that you planned or anticipated, but he will get you there. The second and less obvious part of the story is the fact that Simeon is keeping in step with the Spirit, but it says something else. It says that, that he was just and devout. Let me, let me ask you, are those character qualities that happen overnight? No, I don't, I don't believe so. Those are character qualities that are developed over a lifetime. He had been preparing for this moment for his entire life. 
Sometimes God won't get you to where you want to go because of his grace. Hear me. God won't get you to where you want to go because of his grace. Because he knows that if your gifts take you further than your character can sustain you, then you are setting yourself up for disaster. Hear this. The good gift that you want from God could be a curse if you're not ready to receive it. So embrace the process. Lean into the pruning. Allow God to continue to shape and refine you so that when the moment comes, when he allows you to step into the moment that he has been preparing for you, you'll also be prepared and ready for it. And let me quickly look at Anna. It says that Anna was fasting and praying. Fasting and praying. I know this is going to sound like one of those pat answers, but just fast and pray. That I, I, it is. That, that's all. I don't have any better answer. If you are waiting and you feel like you're never going to get there, how are you going to get there? Fasting and praying. You need to keep going back to the place of proactively, proactively waiting by fasting and praying. What do I mean by fasting? Fasting is essentially giving up something of value or importance in your life so that you may focus more on God. Most people know about fasting. They, when they think about fasting, they think about food or drink, abstaining, not eating for a day or two, only drinking juice for like a week. Like those different type things, those are fine. Other people think about fasting as giving up something like TV or social media or video games. Anything that's a time suck that you can kind of give up and you can spend more time with God. That's the idea. It's not just to, to not eat food. It's to, to not eat food and then take the time that you would have used to eat food to pour into God and to allow him to pour into you. In church tradition, Advent was honestly very similar to Lent. But instead of seven weeks, it's four weeks. But it's still a season of fasting. Let me throw this out there. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but it wouldn't, but, but wouldn't it be interesting to practice a four-week fast? It would be up to you, and, and hopefully God would be involved, to determine what that might look like, what you might give up and for how long. But I can promise you this, church, if you leverage Advent as a season of prayer and fasting, my guess is, is it could probably be the most meaningful Christmas you've ever had. Maybe you're at a place in your life where that would be a way that you could wait and hope. I know this to be true. If you aren't fasting, you are full of yourself. And if you're full of yourself, then there's no room for God. The way you make room for God is you fast. I was thinking about this as I was preparing this message. I fasted a lot in the, uh, the early planning days and, and launching days of this church. But I'm sad to say I haven't spent much time fasting over the last several months. I haven't given up anything lately. And I don't want to be full of myself. So I'm going to be fasting in different ways during this Advent season. So that's why on the church calendar there are these rhythms that are so critical that we, we take a look at and that we enter into these seasons where we empty ourselves. Anna was doing it her whole life. She never left the temple. She was fasting and praying, and it's those things that prepared her for this moment when she met the Son of God. There's also an interesting descriptor. It says, uh, she began to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel, or for Jerusalem. Um, I'm not sure what exactly that means. I don't know if that means that, that 
only the people who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem were listening to her and nobody else could hear. I'm not sure what that means, but I think there's something to be said, said here. That if you were looking backwards, you're not going to hear what God has to say to you. And by looking backwards, I mean things like guilt and regret and, and bitterness, those emotions that are backward-looking emotions, that are always looking back at the things that happened in the past. If you're looking backwards, you're not going to hear what God has to say to you. Instead of living in the present or moving into the future, you're stuck in the past. If you're living backwards, you're not going to hear what God has to say. But if you look forward in faith, I think you're going to see what God has for you. You're going to begin to see and to be able to step into what God has for you. You're keeping lockstep with, with the Spirit step by step. You're going to move a little bit closer to what God has for you. And I think that's what this Advent season, this is the essence of, of waiting in hope. Paul said this, the, the, the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. By the way, heavenward is, uh, is an upward. It's a, a future orientation of our ultimate destiny. That's what Anna was doing. That's what Simeon was doing. And I believe during this Advent series, that's what you and I are called to do, to wait and hope for what God has for you, what's to come. Would you pray with me? Lord, right now I know that there are those in here who are in circumstances that have been prolonged. It's taken much longer than they would have ever thought or imagined to get where they want to go. Lord, I know the frustration that comes with that. Lord, I know that there are, area, there, there, there are those in here whose hearts are broken just hearing some of these words because they hit so close to home. Right now, I invite you, Holy Spirit, I invite you to come upon us in a way that you came upon Simeon to flood our hearts with hope. That's what sets us apart. You said that in your word that, that we will have trouble, but take heart because you have overcome the world. We have the same problems, but we have a God, thank you, God, we have a God who has overcome, a God in whom we pour our hope. So, Lord, I pray for those in here who are hurting, for those who are waiting, for those who are frustrated, that, God, right now in these moments, you would flood our hearts with hope once again. That you would help us to hang on and hang in there so that we can see the same moment that Simeon and Anna saw Help us to keep in step with the Spirit. Help us cultivate your character. Help us fast and pray so that we are ready for the moment when it comes. We love you so much. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.